Will you please stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the gospel? From Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. But the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. Twice in this short story, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God. And since he said it in the presence of children, I'm imagining all the discussions on the way home. Mom, what's a kingdom? Or, Dad, Jesus said the kingdom of God belongs to me. Why did he say that? When will I get it? Is it hiding? How do I find it? Are we almost home? I need to pee. I imagine parents attempting to answer these complicated questions, not really knowing if they understood Jesus themselves. Well, darling, you know how Herod is the king. Jesus is saying that one day God will be king, and God will be better and kinder than Herod. At least, I think that's what he means. But don't tell anyone I said that because it might be treason. What's treason? Why isn't God king now? Couldn't God just make Herod be nice? Will God's kingdom have any queens? If the kingdom belongs to me and I'm just a kid, does that mean kids will be in charge? And could kids make the laws and force everyone to eat dessert for dinner? (laughs) Oh my goodness, child. Mark my words, this is the last time we take you to see Jesus. How would you answer a child who wanted to understand the kingdom of God? What would you say? Do you even know for yourself what Jesus means? The truth of it is that when Jesus would say the kingdom of God, he was making a very political statement. He was challenging the earthly authorities and proclaiming a heavenly authority, a new world order, a different system. But he didn't just mean theocracy. He literally meant a whole new way of being and and relating to one another. Some modern theologians have challenged whether kingdom is even the best translation for what Jesus intended. Because kingdom sort of implies a hierarchy and a patriarchy. Kingdom, after all, is just an imperfect translation of the Greek word basileia. And so... There's nothing particularly sacred about the word kingdom. If, like children, we are willing to use our imaginations, then we are free to imagine newer, more interesting words that better capture the essence of Jesus' message. Dr. Dr. Ada Maria Izazi Diaz, the mother of Mujerista theology, made popular the term kingdom as an alternative to kingdom, as in we are all kin together. 
If like children, we are willing to use our imaginations, we might use words like kingdom to describe Christ's reign in which we imagine one world family united by the love of Christ, in which we are siblings to one another, in which we are joined together by an unbreakable bond. In a kingdom, nothing depends on the oppression of anyone else. Oppression is no more. And if we use words like kingdom to describe Christ's reign, then we might understand that everyone in the family matters, from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest. We might even begin to see every person we encounter as a child of God worthy of a place at the table. We might better understand Christ, the King, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. We might even get a better sense of what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God belongs to people who are like children, that we must welcome God's kingdom as a child or we will never enter it. Back in 2015, I wrote this story that for me captures the essence of Jesus' message in these short four verses. I playfully imagined a longer story that took me to the heart of Jesus' vision. And some of you have heard this story before, but I want to retell it because it's my favorite way to exegete this passage. It's a passage that begs us to use our imagination, don't you think? So here's how I imagine it. There's this long line snaking through the desert, and half the line is made up of children, of people less than four feet tall. It's like waiting for Santa Claus in the mall at Christmas, only there were no malls back then, no Santa, no Christmas. It's just a line of kids waiting for Jesus. When Jesus says, let the little children come, they come all right, which frankly kind of bothers the disciples. These crazy kids are sucking away time from Jesus' work. And so the disciples huddle together to discuss what to do. Peter is the first to speak, bursting with passion, but as usual, his ideas sink nearly as soon as they're spoken. James and John argue for a points-based system to determine which children are most deserving of face time with Jesus. (laughs) Thomas doubts this will work. Judas suggests they start charging money for each visit. (laughs) Matthew says that would mean tax implications. Jesus interrupts, hey, can one of you busybodies get this girl a glass of water? She's thirsty. Naturally, the disciples turn to Thaddeus, the low man on the totem pole, the disciple who is usually responsible for making the coffee. (laughs) Reluctantly, he fetches the water, mumbling under his breath, always the errand boy. The other 11 return to their animated discussion of the problem, which is how no one at all notices what happens to Thaddeus as he grumpily, begrudgingly, squats down to hand this tiny girl in tattered clothing a cup of water. She reaches for the water, her eyes huge, and she takes long, loud, obnoxious gulps. Thaddeus waits. She finally hands him the empty cup, and he stands to get up, has just turned his back to her when he feels tiny, thin arms sling themselves around his legs so that he cannot walk. He looks down, and she is grinning goofily up at him, a few leftover drops of water dangling from her chin. He tries gently to pry her arms away from his legs, but she only giggles and hugs him harder. 
Thaddeus blinks and smiles a fake smile. He looks up at the other disciples whose huddle is just breaking up to get to work, and once again he is about to miss all the action. She is laughing out loud now, which catches the attention of other children who all come racing over. In a panic, Thaddeus tries to get away, but alas, he is chained to his new companion. And before he can stop it from happening, he tumbles to the ground in a heap to the delight of all the children. Parents are smiling down at him as if he has charmed their children on purpose, which somehow makes the whole thing more humiliating. Out of the corner of his eye, he can see James and John drawing up a viewing schedule based on age. Peter is off on his own, building a tent, presumably for Jesus to hide in between showings. Meanwhile, someone has called in Martha for backup, and she is frantically putting together snacks. <laughs> Judas is making up tickets, and Matthew is creating a ledger for record-keeping. Thaddeus sighs. As usual, it is all being solved without him. He lets his head fall backwards into the sand, and he sighs as the little bodies yank on his limbs and tug on his beard and climb on his belly as if he were a jungle gym. He closes his eyes and tries to endure. When he opens them again, there she is, the little girl he had given water to, staring right at him, her nose an inch from his nose, her eyes squinting in a serious way. I love you, she says, and kisses him right on the forehead. To his own alarm, Thaddeus feels his heart melting and his insides getting squishy. He stops watching the scurrying disciples and looks instead for Jesus, who, as it turns out, is sitting on the ground much like him with children climbing everywhere, only Jesus has his head thrown back laughing loudly. His eyes are dancing the way Thaddeus' heart is starting to move around inside his body and Jesus' whole face is lit up with joy. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus is gasping between laughs. The kingdom of heaven is here. Thaddeus wants to holler at the clamoring disciples, knock it off, come and watch. But he knows his voice will go unheeded as usual. So he simply takes off his sandals, wiggles his toes into the ground like a kid on the beach, and worships. Friends, in the midst of all the chaos, can you pause for a moment from all the organizing, arranging, planning, and controlling? And can you simply observe? Observe a child. Observe a hummingbird. Observe an act of kindness. You cannot force God's kingdom to arrive but you can open your heart to receive it. You can open your eyes to where God is already at work among us. After a week like this one, you may feel very ready for a new kingdom, a new authority, a new government. You may be desperate for a new kingdom, a godly kingdom, a righteous kingdom, a kingdom in which all voices are heard and not just the voices of the powerful. And so we pray, we beg God's kingdom, come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But be careful what you pray for. Because God's kingdom 
may be as jolting as it is comforting. God's kingdom on earth will include all sorts of people, including the people you don't like. God's kingdom will be bigger than your comfort level. God's kingdom will belong to outcasts and nobodies and immigrants and children. God's kingdom will bowl you over with its generosity and surprise you with the fierceness of its love. God's kingdom will embrace the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.